Welcome to the New Faces of Democracy podcast, the show featuring inspiring conversation with people at the grassroots and the grass tops, doing extraordinary things to stand up for our democracy. I'm your host, Nancy Bynum. This podcast celebrates people who are transforming our political landscape by organizing, running for office, or generally striving to make our democracy live up to its promise of a more perfect union. I hope their stories will inspire you to learn more about them or to take action on your own. Head over to newfacesofdemocracy.org for easy links to subscribe, follow on social media, and to get more inspiration. Today, I'm speaking with abortion rights activist Michelle Colon of Shiro, Sisters Helping Every Woman Rise and Organize. It's an organization dedicated to reproductive justice for black and brown women in Mississippi. Listen, there's no sugarcoating the dire state of abortion rights in our country right now, but this conversation with Michelle will help you pick yourself up out of your puddle of tears and start to take action. Michelle and I talk about how Mississippi, with its myriad abortion restrictions already, is virtually in a post-Roe universe now, and how it will only get harder. We also speak about the fraught history of bodily autonomy for black and brown women in our country, and why we need to support local abortion organizations that are able to help women with the daunting amount of resources they will need when Roe is gone for good. Michelle lists a number of worthy grassroots groups that help women with these resources, and you can find that list, along with links, in the show notes on my website, newfacesofdemocracy.org. And now here's my conversation with Michelle Colon. Michelle Colon, welcome to New Faces of Democracy. Thank you, Nancy. I'm happy to be here. It's a pleasure. So, Michelle, you are a self-proclaimed abortion freedom fighter and the founder of a group called Shiro. Tell me about what you all do there. Hmm. Yes, I am a very proud abortion freedom fighter, and I am one of the co-founders of Shiro, which is an acronym that stands for Sisters Helping Every Woman Rise and Organize. We're a Black woman's reproductive justice collective, and what Shiro does is that we take on the whole spectrum of reproductive justice. And what I mean by that is we don't, you know, stick with the safe parts of RJ, which is, you know, it's like comprehensive sex education, you know, contraception, equal pay, all of those are important. But the hard hitting, the real serious threat (laughs) to reproductive justice is the abortion issue. And it's also any type of health care issue regarding women, trans individuals and individuals who are non-gender conforming. And I do want to just say that my pronouns are she, her. And when I speak about women, when I say the word woman or women, I'm encompassing that includes trans women and also non-gender conforming individuals. And so we work, you know, statewide with communities all over the state of Mississippi. And what we do is we not only build leadership, we teach about reproductive justice and we do this through the Black feminist lens. And we help Black and brown folks here in Mississippi find their path to liberation and whatever that path is. We do trainings. We do self-empowerment events and activities. We do education and community organizing, you know, about abortion, about, you know, queer rights, transgender rights, all kind of issues that impact Black women and girls in in Black families. So you pretty, you name it, we pretty, Shiro pretty much does it. So that's what we do. We're definitely grassroots. We're nothing fancy. We just saw a need for an organization to be there for black and brown women in the state because 
Black and brown women tend to slip through the cracks, so to speak. You know, nobody really cares about them. You know, Mississippi has one of the highest, you know, black maternal mortality rates. And it's like no one really talks about that, you know, but yet black women get blamed when, you know, the black family, if something happens to the black family, it's the black mother's fault. It's the black woman's fault. And the majority of the time, you know, we hear, oh, you know, black women are, you know, make up the most, you know, people who get abortions. You hear all these negative connotations when it comes to black and brown women. But, you know, we don't talk about how postpartum depression or just depression, period, and mental health issues in regards to black and brown women. And so that's what we do. We destigmatize all of those stigmas in regards to the existence and well-being and happiness to black and brown women and black you know people here in Mississippi. Wow, that's really comprehensive. I want to set the stage in Mississippi right now and then we'll talk about the Supreme Court in a moment, but just at the moment describe for me a typical experience for a person who wants to get an abortion now in the state. Like what do they have to do? What hoops do they have to jump through? I know it's still legal. Yeah, so it is still legal. So first and foremost, the the biggest hurdle now as of today is trying to secure an appointment. And while I'm not a spokesperson, nor am I any way engaged or, you know, tied to the lone abortion clinic here anymore, the abortion clinic is booked up for like ever, you know, and, and they've been that way for some time. But like right now, they have been booked up, you know, months in advance. So today you wouldn't be able to get an appointment in Mississippi. You would have to try to seek an appointment in, in either Alabama, Louisiana, or Florida, or possibly Tennessee. And then those obstacles are as follows. Louisiana has a 24-hour waiting period. So does Tennessee. Alabama has a 48-hour waiting period. Florida doesn't have a waiting period and goes up to 24, 25 weeks, I believe. But, you know, your other challenge then comes with how do I get there? So for most of Mississippians, it's a challenge just getting to the lone clinic in Jackson. You know, if you get that appointment, you know, they have to find transportation to get here. So now they're, you know, the challenge is not only just finding transportation to Jackson, but finding transportation is going to take you out of the state. And if you're talking about going to Alabama, Louisiana or Tennessee, that means making two trips for your procedure. If you're trying to get to Florida, you know, that is a four hour drive. And that's just from Jackson. If you can get to Florida, you know, great. But some people may have to, you know, spend the night, which another challenge means lodging, child care, if they are someone who has children, you know, extended child care, losing wages from having to take off of work. You know what I'm saying? To travel to one of the other states. And so these are the burdens. Now, if you are someone who is... You know, if you're over, I'm trying to remember what Tennessee and Louisiana goes up to. I know they don't go as far as Florida, but if you're someone, let's just say they, I think they all have like a 15 week right now or whatever, 15, 16 weeks. If you're someone who's over 15 weeks, you have just wasted gas, your time and a lot of money to get to Tennessee or Louisiana. So now you probably will have to go to Alabama, right? Or Florida, if you can get to Florida. If you get to Florida, you're pretty much golden. If you can get to Pensacola. But what if you don't have the money for your procedure? So that's a whole other challenge. 
trying to get a call back from an abortion or practical support fund. And the challenge with that is, is that right now those funds are doing extremely great work, but they're at capacity, you know, taking calls because they're trying to help people in not only their state, but in the various surrounding states because people are seeking financial assistance to go to their clinics. And so, you know, then if you get the call back and what if they don't have all of the funding that you'll need? They can help you with parts of the funding. So that's another that's another, you know, obstacle. If you're a minor here in Mississippi and in Louisiana and Tennessee, I do believe in Alabama as well. I know in Mississippi you have to have both of your parents, if their names are listed on your birth certificate, both of your parents have to be present with you. If you are the parent or legal guardian, you must come with this minor, right? You have to bring the birth certificate. Everybody has to bring a photo ID. You know what I'm saying? It's just, it's an ordeal. It's an ordeal. Then if you're lucky enough to get to a clinic, that's when the real problems start. And it doesn't start because you go into the clinic and there's a problem once you get in there. The problem starts when you try to get into a clinic. You are greeted. I say greeted by, you know, anywhere from a minimum of two to like 20, two or three dozen anti-abortion terrorists, because that's what they are. They start meeting and harassing you once they see a car even coming within the vicinity of an abortion clinic. They have people stationed at various, strategically at various points around clinics. So they're harassing you when you're walking to or from a clinic if you have parked outside or away from the clinic. Some of them are very aggressive. The majority of them are very aggressive. They're constantly screaming, loud talking, shaming, trying to elicit some type of response. They're very verbally abusive. They're disrespectful. They're racist. They're misogynists. They're trying to force, you know, potential patients to take their anti-abortion propaganda. They tell them lies about how abortion causes cancer, infertility, depression. You know, don't you love God? You're going to hell. You're going to be depressed. Your life is never going to be the same. You're going to be in excruciating pain. These are the things that they say. They say women die in there. They kill people. You know, abortion is murder. So these are the things that they do. They're making, they're not only are they, you know, trying to shame this individual, they are making this individual very uncomfortable. They are inciting fear in this individual, anxiety to potential patients. And all of this is to deter them from entering a clinic where they are seeking basic health care. And then, you know, once you get in, again, because of what happened in Texas in September, and we're coming up on a year, and what's going on in the country, most abortion clinics, they're not these huge, huge buildings. They're not, you know, they don't have huge waiting rooms. So they're at capacity. So it could be standing room only. And, you know, this is not like any other experience that you go to at any other doctor's office. You know what I'm saying? Where there are times where you have to ask people, if you're not the patient, you're going to have to go outside or we recommend you go back into your car to sit and wait. We need the space for patients only. So that's that's the experience. And that's all of this is before they even see the doctor. Yeah. Right. Incredible. Just to put this conversation in context, today is Tuesday, May 17th. And where things stand now, it looks like. Roe will be overturned by the Supreme Court and abortion rights will be legislated at the state level. And that's going to mean a huge disparity in laws across the country. I mean, where I sit in New York, 
women will have the right to choose whether to have a child and where you sit in Mississippi, they will not. Yeah, it will be criminalized. Yeah, it will be criminalized here. They will not be able right. to. Yeah, it will be criminalized. So for many of us, the news of this draft opinion is shaping up to be like one of these, I think it's called a flashbulb memory, where you always remember where you were when you heard it. Do you remember where you were? It was only a week or so ago. And what was your reaction? Yeah, I was here at home. I was on the computer because, again, like I say, we're all working harder and longer. And so I was on my laptop, you know, checking emails and answering emails and, you know, going over stuff. And the first thing that happened is that, you know, we all have these phones that, you know, start beeping when, you know, and, and so all of us in movement have our the basically what I call like the phone alarm or the notifications on for something. And so it popped up on my phone. And, you know, as soon as I see something, anything dealing with the Supreme Court in Roe, you know, we're like on it. You know what I'm saying? And we thought we were safe because normally we're only freaking out like, you know, that Monday, like a Sunday to Monday, because that's when the court releases their opinions, you know, traditionally. And so when I saw that, I, I, it was just like, you know, you, you get the little the little like the little box that just kind of pops up and it gives you like a little preview. And I was like, what? Because I'm like, it's not Monday. <laughs> you know? I'm like, wait a minute, what, what's going on? You know, so then I had to click it open and there it was. And I was just like, oh, ish. You know what I'm saying? I was like, oh, ish, oh, ish, you know. And so as I'm reading it, that's when, you know, I, I'm looking at my phone. My computer is up. My email is up. And then all the emails start coming in, coming in, coming in. The phone starts ringing. The phone is beeping for text messages. My signal account is beeping. My, what is it? The Slack thing. And I'm like, Ugh, you know, and so I wasn't surprised. I wasn't shocked. I think, you know, it is sad to say, I think because I'm, I'm so desensitized and jaded, you know, being in Mississippi, we've been functioning for some time now in pretty much a post-row scenario. So I, it wasn't a shock. You know, I was just, I was mad and I was angry because a lot of this could have been halted, you know, 10, 12 years ago if our elected officials had taken more of a proactive stance. If people on the ground, you know what I'm saying? All of these people who come out, they react, you know what I'm saying? So, 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 so for so many years, we have been reactionary, you know what I'm saying? And so instead of being proactive. And so I was just like, maybe now the rest of the country and the rest of the world will understand what people in Mississippi, what people in red states, right, have had to endure. Maybe now people will get it. You know, and so and then my next thought was, you know, I I just couldn't imagine what was going through the minds of people who were probably contemplating, you know, who are contemplating or who were going to get their procedures the next day. People who are not very well versed in what's going on. They just, you know what I'm saying? And just like what's going through their minds. And one local reporter, you know, I was getting all these requests and there was a local reporter who I've been talking to her for years. So I kind of like, you know, I kind of like her, you know, yeah. She called me. So I answered the phone for her and she said, she said, look, I'm not calling just about an interview or whatever, whatever. I just wanted to call to see how you were doing. And I said, I'm not doing well. You know, I was kind of, you know, I was kind of hoarse because I had just been sitting here kind of like collecting my thoughts. And so then we started talking and she says, well, I haven't now. She says, I want to ask you, do you have a quote? She says, because nobody is, is talking. And at first I wasn't going to say anything. You know, I was just going to let it ride. She said, no, she said, not even the antis. 
And I told her, I said, well, this is what I'm going to tell you. I said, you know, first and foremost, abortion is still is still legal. It's still legal. And I'm not surprised for those of us who've been in this movement. We've been preparing for this. I know it may be a shock for a lot of other people, but it's not a shock to me. I hadn't at that point, I hadn't read the whole opinion. Right. I just kind of, you know, read, you know, and, you know, we're going to continue doing what we're doing. We're going to continue preparing. We're going to continue fundraising. We're going to continue helping people navigate, you know, just continue our preparation. And, you know, I said, that's all I have to say, you know, right now. You know what I'm saying? That, you know, and again, you know, I close like I always close. We decide our own destinies. The Supreme Court does not get a say. You know what I'm saying? And no matter what what we do, we're going to find a way to help pregnant people access the abortion care that they are seeking. It's unfortunate that now folks are going to have to travel out of state and folks are going to have to travel across the country because now half of the country will mimic Mississippi. And that was pretty much it. I didn't get any sleep that night. You know, then we were all like, going, you know, those of us in the movement were going back and forth. And, you know, it just, it was what it was. But yeah, that and, and, and finding out, you know, it's just like last year when we found out in September about Justice Ginsburg dying. I'll never forget that either. So, yeah. So what will the law be in Mississippi once Roe is overturned? There's a trigger law you mentioned. Yeah. And we've had trigger laws on the books for years. So abortion will be illegal. I think Mississippi does it is keeping in their little, you know, rape and exception for the life, you know, the life of the mother. There will be no more clinic and abortion will be criminalized. So all the states you mentioned that you can go to now, I mean, if you have the means, those will all be gone. With the exception of Florida. Florida will change in the sense that come July 1st, Florida, because of the some stuff that went through the Florida legislature um, just within the last couple of months, Florida's laws come July 1st will mimic Mississippi's. They will have a 24-hour waiting period. They will no longer be able to do procedures a past 15 weeks, and they will mimic Mississippi. Now, the positive thing about that is that Florida, unlike Mississippi, Florida has many, many more clinics than we have. But Florida also has a larger population than we have. And so Florida will will be struggling to deal with their own patients and they'll still be taking in and servicing, you know, people from Mississippi, Alabama, Georgia and the likes. And anybody who will be over 15 weeks for in Florida the closest clinic that they're going to have to go to is going to be, I believe, Virginia. They'll have to go to Virginia, Virginia, D.C., in Florida. All of the other states, nothing. For us, the closest, for people in Mississippi, the closest clinic is going to be in Illinois, Granite City. And just found out that, that one of the independent providers is getting ready to open up a clinic in Carbondale, Illinois. So now there will be three or four clinics right over the border. One will be like three hours from Memphis, Tennessee. But for, for traveling from Jackson, and if you're coming from Jackson, or beyond, from Jackson, it's a seven-hour drive. If you're someone coming from Biloxi or something like that, that's an additional four and a half hours. So we're talking about anywhere between a 12 to 15-hour drive to get to the nearest clinic in Illinois. Folks in Texas, they're going to have to go to New Mexico or Colorado. 
And then, you know, yeah, I mean, you know, and that's, you know, that's just not right that this is because this is something that the government is doing. The government is forcing people to travel these distances. They're the ones who are doing the, this. The so, most vulnerable people often. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I, I want to talk about that because you said that Shiro is about racial justice. And I just want to talk about that element of this time and what's going on with the, already you have so many limits to abortion where you live, but it's unbelievably going to get worse. Just talk to me about how abortion is a racial justice issue and who will be most affected by a rollback of Roe. Well, abortion is a racial justice issue, first and foremost, because this is about bodily autonomy and no other race no other yeah group of people outside of you know black and brown people have had that manipulated or taken away from them like you know first and foremost native american women native american people here black women who were basically stolen from their native lands and brought here as slaves and also you know latina brown women latina women you know our bodies black women's bodies were used and abused to produce you know free labor Right. They had no control of that. Their families were destroyed. They were basically used as broodmares. And then, you know, Latina women's bodies were basically experimented on for birth control pills. You know, Native American women, their families were broken up as, you know, this country and Canada took their children from them and, you know, tried to anglicize them, you know, forcing them to assimilate. So this is a racial justice issue because this country has a torrid past with forced sterilizing black and brown women. And and not just like, you know, back in the 50s, 60s or early turn of the century. We're talking about just a couple years ago where, you know, Latina women were being forcibly sterilized in detention centers. Immigrant women were being forcibly sterilized. So this is why abortion is a racial justice issue, because this is, again, bodily autonomy. A woman, especially a black or brown woman or black or brown pregnant person, having sovereignty over their own body. You mentioned before maternal mortality rates in addition to just for the mother, and you said Mississippi is one of the, has one of the highest rates in the country. I read that actually for the infant also, it has the highest rate in the country. Why is that? Because with all of the posturing of these anti-abortion politicians, they do not care about the lives of women and they do not care about existing children. They are obsessed with fetuses. These are the same people who will sit up and talk about and debate abortion all day and talk about God this and God that and the unborn. But in the same same time frame, they will cut the funding or, you know, refuse to support any type of, you know, policy or, or social program that will help low income families, single led household families and, you know, foster children and things like that. So, you know, I always say this and I don't say this to be funny. It is what it is. These people do not. They claim to be so pro-life. No, they are pro-fetus. They are pro-birth. And once the fetus goes through all the stages and is birth, that's it. The antis are done with you. 
They do not care about educating that child. They don't care about clothing, providing adequate health care for that child, any type of safety for that child, you know, feeding that child. And they don't care about the mother. They don't care about the parent. They don't care about the housing conditions of that child, the quality of air and water that that child will need, you know, and ingest to be a happy, healthy, functioning adult. So they need to basically, yeah, I don't call them pro-life. I'm not going to call them anti-choice. They are fetus freaks. That's what they are. Yeah, I was going to ask you, but I guess the answer is no. I mean, is there talk in the state of improving maternal care in the wake of what's about to come or, or assisting new parents in any way, parental leave? No, the only thing that the governor did, what, last week, I think it was last week or two weeks ago or something, I don't know. He signed off and made this big thing. And this was only just to kind of combat what had happened with the with the leak. He basically signed, you know, signed this piece of legislation giving more tax breaks to individuals who make donations to the fake clinics. And the fake clinics, for people who don't know what I'm talking about, are the CPCs, the the quote unquote crisis pregnancy centers, a.k.a. fake clinics. Right. They lure women in. Absolutely. They lure people there. They lie to them about their gestational stage. They basically spiritually and emotionally blackmail them into not going to an abortion clinic. They lie to them and trick them and say, we're going to help you. We'll give you clothes. We'll give you a job. We'll do this. We'll do that. We'll do the other. Just please have your baby, you know. And so basically he made it, you know, again, now, mind you, everyone is always, you know, anti is always talking about, I don't want my tax money going to pay for abortions. Well, I don't want my tax money going to a fake clinic, but it does. And in the end, do they help the women with all that stuff they're promising? Or is it just like no. fake? No. Yeah. Now, I'm not going to say, you know, there are some that have clothes and will give you diapers for right then and there. But, you know, what are you going to do? That's 18 years right off the bat. You know, you know, you got an 18 year investment minimum, you know, and then you also have to look at, you know, many of the, especially here in Mississippi, many, you know, you have, they always talk about adoption. Oh, adoption, adoption. Look, I'm for adoption and adopting as well. But let me be clear. First and foremost, there is no rush for people out here to adopt black and brown babies. Okay, our babies don't get adopted at the same rate as as white babies or even Asian American babies. Okay, second of all, our state foster care system is weak and underfunded and it's overcrowded and at capacity. So these children are not being adopted or even fostered. They're staying in the system. Right. And third, we have all of these private adoption agencies, which are are religious or faith based. And these people are very selective in who they allow to adopt babies. So, you know, some of them, you know, are even, they won't let the Catholics adopt babies. They wouldn't let my friend, I have a friend who her husband is Jewish. They refused them a baby because he was Jewish. So, you know, you have, again, these are people who claim to be quote unquote plural wife and they're all about children. And you have people who want to adopt children, not just babies, because babies like puppies don't stay babies for, forever. But there's all these obstacles. You know what I'm saying? So, no, the state has done nothing. The state had the opportunity to pay Mississippi women, right? Equal pay for equal work. And they mushed around and mushed around and weakened a bill 
they got something passed, but this bill does nothing to, you know, level the, the wage disparity in Mississippi. The governor had an opportunity to increase the leave for postpartum care for new mothers, and he refused to do that. So, you know, there's a lot that he can do. He is in, in his, his anti-abortion cronies could be doing, but they don't to make it at least give, you know, new mothers and mothers and, ba- and babies a fighting chance, but they don't. And then, you know, to top it all off, Mississippi is still a state that has not expanded Medicaid. And our governor is a, is a huge opponent of that, you know, because it's Obamacare. We can't have Obamacare. You know what I'm saying? This is what they tell people and this is what their base believes. So, you know, and then these are things that impact not only black and brown people, but this impacts all families, all people with children, all of Mississippi children, the real ones, the ones that, that, that really count, the ones that really matter, the ones that are the forgotten ones to the antis, because they're no longer fetuses. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the hypocrisy is really never ceases to astonish me. Let's talk about how we can move ahead. Your website says, and you referenced this earlier, but I'll quote it, abortion is liberation. The Supreme Court does not control our destiny. We do. I mean, they control it a little bit, but it does sound like you have plans. How is your strategy changing in anticipation of what is most likely coming? Oh, boy. So, I mean, no, they don't control it. They can put something on paper and this cannot law abortion. Yeah, they can do that, but they will never stop people from getting abortions. So they don't control us. And abortion is liberation. And as a pro-abortion and proud abortion freedom fighter, and as someone who, one of the co-founders of Shiro, I am adamant in my resolve in continuing to help people navigate through that system, navigate through that, what I like to call that mindfield, navigate that path and getting them to safe abortions. And letting them know that you can still have an abortion, a safe abortion, when Roe is overturned, when abortion is illegal. We are just making sure our main concern is that black and brown folks are not criminalized for miscarrying because they have all they have been, you know, black and brown people have been criminalized for miscarrying for some time now. And so that's one of the things that, you know, some of us are working on, like, you know, what are we doing with that? The other thing is that, you know, we're educating people about self-managed abortion. And is that the abortion pills? That's correct. That's correct. You have other people, other activists um, in the movement who are doing work, again, to help people navigate that process. And that's what I mean when I say the Supreme Court doesn't decide. Because women have been helping women And people have been having abortions since the beginning of time. And no emperor, no king, no God, no no one has been able to stop it from happening. And so this decision is not going to stop it either. What it's going to do is make it harder for folks to to get their procedures. And it's state-sanctioned, in my mind, it's state-sanctioned torture. It's state-sanctioned abuse. State-sanctioned death, I mean, with yes, the maternal that well. death rates that we were well. talking about. Yeah, yeah. You know, you talk about human trafficking, and I don't say this lightly because I know, I look, I know people who, who have been human trafficked, who have been trafficked, but, you know, in essence, you're making someone carry a pregnancy to term, and you're forcing them to give birth. And that 
is a type of, again, state sanctioned like ownership. You know what I'm saying? Like, really, you know? And so this, again, you know, this is the government's fault. This, this is the anti-abortion movement's fault. This is the worst form of anti-abortion terrorism, you know, next to shooting and killing doctors. This is the next worst thing, in my opinion. And it is terrorizing people because basically when you have to leave your home and you have to leave your children to go across country to get a procedure that is so much safer than childbirth, so much safer than pregnancy, and they have to travel across the country just for that health care. Yeah, that's trauma and it's unnecessary. So I'm going to do everything, everything that I can while I can to help my community And, you know, the other thing that we're doing is we're, you know, doing fundraising, making sure that all of the abortion funds, especially the local ones here in the South, all of the abortion and practical support funds have monies that they will be able to, you know, supplement patients for their procedures because we don't want anyone to call and we have to tell them, you know, we're sorry, we're out of funding. And so this is why, you know, it's extremely important for people who want to know what they can do or say, oh, what can I do? What can I do? You know, make a donation to the abortion fund. And if you can make a monthly donation, you know, make a sustaining donation. So, yes. Sacrifice that pack of cigarettes or sacrifice that, that, that Starbucks and help somebody, you know, fund an abortion. I just want you to explain to people why to give to local groups like yours. Sure. Yeah. Instead uh, of or in addition to, to the, large, right. the, the national well, groups. My thoughts and my attitude toward Planned Parenthood is very well documented. And so I strongly look, I'm definitely grassroots through and through. It's very, very important that people support local organizations and organizers on the ground because we have been the ones doing the work. We don't have financial arsenals that afford us a marketing department or this department or whatever, whatever. You have, you know, two or three people, sometimes five to ten who are out here, you know, banging the pavement. And so this is not glorious or glamorous work. People don't do this to get paid. Oftentimes these are volunteers. These are the people who have been stomping and riding hard for their communities for years. And so they're the ones who are doing the work. A patient has to have the money to get to a Planned Parenthood. Who do you think they're getting the money from? They're getting it from the local activists and organizers and groups in their states and in their communities. And so these people... And these organizations have been overlooked for some time and have been the backbones in these communities. And many of them have been led and and are founded by people of color. You have indigenous women rising out in Arizona who've been holding it down for indigenous people's reproductive rights for some time. Give to them. You have ARC Southeast Advocates who helps their practical support fund. They help people in several southeastern states. Give to them. You know, you have the Mississippi Reproductive Freedom Fund here in Mississippi. Give to them. I have to give a shout out to the NOLA, which is the New Orleans, Louisiana Abortion Fund. They help everyone in their state give to them. You know, you have the Tampa Bay Abortion Fund that helps people, you know, in all parts of the Tampa Bay, Pensacola area, give to them. These are the people who have been holding it down and doing the work. Planned Parenthood has, you know, oodles and oodles of millions, Your donation don't need to go to Planned Parenthood. You know what I'm saying? I'm not saying don't support them. All I'm saying is during this urgent time right now, 
these local groups, NAF, the National Abortion Federation, the NAF, they need your money. That's who needs your money. Local groups need the Yellowhammer Fund, which is a fund, yes, that was created by some sisters in Alabama, activists in Alabama. You know what I'm saying? Give to them. They are the people who have been doing this work and did it not because somebody told them to do it. They saw a need. You know what I'm saying? They saw a need. Nobody was helping their community. So they are the ones who should receive this funding and receive your support. You know what I'm saying? You know, whether or not you want to like give them even more money, buy them computers, you know, pay for their Internet, whatever, whatever. That's the type of support that they need. And these are people who don't have, you know, office building. Not everybody has an office. My office is my little room here in my house. That's my office. That's just how grassroots some of us are. You know what I'm saying? So those are the organizations that need your support because those are the people who the folks in their communities, they're going to call. And those are the people who they trust. Because this is the court seems to be handing everything over to states right now. Um, and it will all be decided by the people we elect to our state legislatures. Now it seems like abortion rights are going to be all intermingled with voting rights, voting restrictions, getting well, out the abortion vote. rights, abortion rights and voting rights has has always been, you know, right. They've always been parallel. I mean, you can't knock down an abortion right if you can't vote. Right. You can't stop an abortion ban and and participate in opposing a piece of abortion legislation if you can't vote. So what Shiro has always done and what I have always done, even in my in my activism, I've always tied the two together. Because for me as a black woman, they've always been tied together. Even before it became this big thing where it was like a theory and people were studying it. It was always the same to me. You cannot be fighting to expand abortion rights if you're not fighting for voter enfranchisement, expanding the voting rights. And so if that's what you're doing, you're doing it wrong. If you're not fighting for both, you're doing it wrong. Sure. So this is, of course, a monumental setback for all of us in America, especially so for those living in marginalized communities. A lot of us, I think, are feeling overwhelmed. Do you ever feel that way? And if so, how do you cope with these difficult feelings and keep going? Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to lie and say that it's not affecting me. And I am overwhelmed. And I think, you know, this week is when I really started feeling it. And I don't know if it's because of the, you know, the blood moon and, you know, and hopefully, you know, between, you know, Sunday and today, hopefully it'll pass. But yeah, I am overwhelmed because I feel like I'm not doing enough. I feel like I'm not working hard enough. I feel like I have not prepared as many people as, you know, who needs to be prepared. I feel like I have to watch everything that I say because I need to be careful that I'm not jeopardizing the little sliver of rights that, you know, we still have. You know, we all have to be careful in what we say, what we do. I I have to be careful who I'm talking to, who I'm seen with. So, you know, an individual is not targeted you know what I'm saying? And then they start being harassed, you know, or being watched or surveilled or whatever for allegedly doing something. You know what I'm saying? Because I'm very vocal. Yeah. You know, I'm still trying to wrap my head around, like, what exactly am I going to do on decision day? You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't know how I'm going to act. Like, am I going to smoke? Am I going to drink? Am I, you know, I don't know. You know what I'm saying? I'm still, you know, trying to process that. Am I going to go somewhere and just kind of chill? That that I won't do. As far as how I'm dealing with it, I don't know if I am dealing with it. I'll be honest with you. There are some days where, you know, I feel like I want to cry, but I don't. There are some days where I feel like I want to scream and I don't. 
Um, sometimes I just turn my computer off and I turn the phone off because I don't want to hear a text. I don't want to, I don't want to talk about it. I don't want, you know, um, but as a black woman, I don't have that luxury just to kind of stick my head in the sand. And as a black woman in the South and as a leader in community and as someone who's been doing this and as someone who everybody looks up to, I know I have to maintain some composure for the people who need me. So that's how I deal with it. I know I can't let them down. And so I don't want the antis to fully defeat us because they won't. This is just another, you know what I'm saying? You know, this is just another, you know, another obstacle that we will get over. You know what I'm saying? And so I don't want to let the community down and I don't want the antis to win. So if people want to learn more about Shiro, where should they go? They can go to our website. We're very grassroots. We have a website and it's Shiro, S as in Sam, H-E-R-O, M as in money, S as in Sam.org. We have a Facebook page that you can like. We have an uh, an Instagram account, which is at Shiro Mississippi. And we have a Twitter account, which is Shiro MS04. That's where you will find a lot of news and, you know, upcoming events. Shiro is organizing our D-Day event for Friday, June the 17th here in Jackson, Mississippi. You know, we may or may not have a decision by then. But again, we're not sitting around waiting for the Supreme Court. We have invited activists and organizers from across the country, but specifically our comrades in the Fifth Circuit to join us. And we're asking folks in Mississippi to turn out, come to Jackson. We're going to have the rally in Smith Park, right in the backyard of the governor of Mississippi. And we're going to give people marching orders. What are the next steps? You know what I'm saying? What do we do next? How do we navigate this process? And let's see, hopefully by the end of June, definitely by the end of June, Shiro should have their own practical support abortion fund set up where people can give donations to us for that, for specifically for that. I'm not asking people to support me. I can get benefactors, you know, funders to do that. But for people who want to support me, I say, make a donation in my honor and Shiro's honor, you know, to an abortion fund. Specifically one of the ones I mentioned earlier. Yes. I'm going to put all those in the notes. Michelle Cologne, thank you so much for talking with me today. Your work is just amazing and you're really an inspiration to all of us. So thank you for being here. Well, thank you, Nancy. That's, you know, first, thank you for having me. And that's so kind of you to say. I don't think of myself as special or or an inspiration. I just, you know, I'm just somebody who, like I said, I've been through this. I've seen people that I love, you know, go through this. I've worked at two abortion clinics in two hostile territories, both here in Mississippi and in Texas. And so I don't like bullies. I don't like being told what to do. And I'll be damned if I let, you know, a bunch of, you know, white guys, especially old white guys who hate women, who call Black Lives Matter a terrorist group, be the ones to dictate my future. So I will say all day abortion is liberation. And the Supreme Court does not decide. We do. We control our destinies. So thank you very much. And I thank your listeners. Thank you for listening. New Faces of Democracy is created and produced by me, Nancy Bynum. And in addition to being the host, I'm also the CEO, the CFO, and the administrative assistant. If you enjoyed this episode, please help New Faces of Democracy grow by subscribing on whatever app you use to listen to podcasts. You can also leave a review on Apple Podcasts. And if you're looking for more inspiration, check out my other profiles at newfacesofdemocracy.org and follow New Faces of Democracy on Instagram and Facebook. Facebook.